0: Is going to be from Matthew uh, chapter twelve, uh, verses thirty-eight to forty-two. So, if you can turn there with me, Matthew twelve, verses thirty-eight to forty-two. Let's just pray as we, um, as we, before we read. Great God in heaven, Lord, we praise you for being a God who speaks. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us through the scriptures. We thank you that we can now sit under them. And Lord, we ask that you would speak powerfully through them. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and our minds, that we may receive your word and that we may allow it to transform us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So from uh, chapter Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater then Solomon is here. This is God's life-giving word. I encourage you to keep it open in front of you uh, as we, um, yeah, as we consider uh, this passage. Now, a while ago, uh, Kate and I—Kate <clears throat> being my wife—for uh, those that don't know me, uh, Kate and I uh, had a day off without the kids, uh, and we decided to go uh, for a trip to Frio. Now, Kate and I both love books, and so as we're walking through the streets of Freo, we, we wandered uh, along and, and found this little bookshop, and so we, we went in. Now, as I wandered into the bookshop, I noticed the section there entitled Spirituality, and I sort of thought, hmm, this will be interesting. Now, as I checked out the books there, uh, I was reminded by the sheer variety of options that the modern-day spiritual seeker has. Now, I clearly didn't have time to to study uh, the contents of each book in any depth, but what was clear was that uh, many of the books on spirituality sort of contained a a mixture of of ideas, a rolling together, if you like, of sort of Eastern and and Western religious ideas to form new and, and various options. Now, now all these books were written by uh, by authors sort of claiming to be some sort of spiritual guru. Modern-day prophets who'd managed to find the kernel of truth in in all the competing ideas of the world religions and promised to open up these truths to to spiritual seekers so that they could find God and and peace and, and salvation. But what becomes pretty obvious once you start to sort of uh, flick through these books is that terms like God and salvation are a little bit like plasticine in the, in the hands of these spiritual gurus. Uh, they can mean all sorts of things, depending on which book you're reading. And it can all be really confusing. But now amongst, amongst this sort of uh, range of books, I, this sort of spiritual smorgasbord... I noticed that there were a few uh, Christian books or books from, from Christian authors that I recognised, books that, that I think are trying to present a biblical picture of Jesus and a, and a biblical picture of the Christian faith. And I just thought, this is interesting. This is sort of like a metaphor for our culture. In the vision of, the, of our culture and in the, in the modern sort of bookshop, Jesus is presented there as, as one spiritual guru amongst many. Here he's presented as one spiritual option amongst a plethora of choices and competing truth claims. But is that how we should think about Jesus? Is that how we, uh, Jesus thought about himself as just one option among many when it comes to discerning spiritual truth, as just another spiritual guru, just another self-proclaimed prophet that people can take or leave as their sort of whim takes them? As it suits them. Well, in the passage that we've just read and that we're looking at this morning, I think we get a fairly resounding answer to that question. Not only does Jesus say, excuse me, here, that he needs to be taken absolutely seriously, but he points us to who he is and how we can be sure of that. Who he is and how we can be sure of that. Now, in the passage, we find Jesus conversing with, um, with the Jewish religious leaders of his day. Jewish religious leaders that are, are trying to discredit him and his ministry. Now, if you were to go back and read the passage just before this one, uh, you'd find that the, these leaders have just accused Jesus of being an agent of Satan. Uh, an agent, of they, they describe it as Beelzebub, but, but it's, it's an agent of Satan. You see, that the religious leaders of Jesus' day felt threatened by Jesus. They were jealous. They saw their own popularity dwindling as the crowds increasingly started to listen to Jesus rather than them. And so they were looking for ways to discredit Jesus. Now, having accused him of being an agent of Satan in verses 22 to 37, Jesus responds by saying that, well, guys, you know a tree by its fruit Uh, that a person the fruit of a person's life will show whom they are aligned with whether to god whether aligned with god or aligned with satan now the implication that jesus is making is is guys look at my ministry look at my actions they will reveal who i am and whom i am from and and they couldn't find a problem and so they find another tack. They try another tack. So here in verse 38, at the beginning of our reading, they, they challenge Jesus to prove who he is and that he should be believed by showing them some sort of miraculous sign that will convince them to believe. They want Jesus to, to do something so that they just can't argue. Now, this sort of approach to belief in Jesus, I think, is not that unusual in our culture. And it's probably not been not that unusual over the course of history. Many people, I think, make ultimatums to God. They want God to prove himself to them before they're willing to believe. I remember um, back when I was a mechanic uh, having a discussion with, um, with someone uh, in the workshop uh, who, who was saying this very thing. We were, we were talking about the Christian faith and, and I remember him saying, uh, declaring, if God wants me to believe and to trust in him, well, then he's got to convince me. He's got to prove himself beyond doubt. For this guy, the burden of proof was firmly on God to overcome his his doubt, his skepticism. Now, what both my mate at work uh, and the Pharisees are doing, really, is effectively they're putting God in the dock. They're putting God in the dock. They've they've declared themselves judge and jury. And and the burden of proof is on God to prove himself to them. Now, Jesus uh, says two things, two things in response to the Pharisees' challenge. First of all, he calls out their motives. In verse 39, he responds to their request saying this, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, we're going to come back shortly to uh, what Jesus means when he talks about the sign of the prophet Jonah. But first, notice what he says about the motives of these types of ultimatums to God. Now, Jesus uh, acknowledges in other places that, that there is such a thing as, as true faith wrestling with, uh, with, with genuine doubts. Uh, for example, uh, if you were to read Mark 9, you, you see there the father of a, a boy who's uh, demon-possessed uh, come to Jesus and cry out for Jesus to help. And, and Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, I do believe, but, but help me in my unbelief. So there's a place for genuine wrestling with doubts. But that's not what's happening here. And Jesus doesn't take kindly to it. The Pharisees aren't really looking for a reason to believe. They're looking for a reason to not believe. A reason to discredit Jesus. They're looking for an opportunity to reinforce their doubt and their pride. And so Jesus responds saying this is the action of wicked and adulterous people because, well, they're setting themselves up over God. They're setting themselves up over God. They're motivated by pride and a a vision of their own greatness rather than by true faith and a real desire to know God. Now, Jesus uh, then points to two examples in the Old Testament where true faith was expressed Rather than this, this proud skepticism. First, in verse forty-one, uh, he points to the to the ministry of Jonah, uh, who, if you're, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, Jonah uh, was a prophet in the Old Testament. That, Testament sorry, that God sent uh, to the city of Nineveh. Now, God sent Jonah there to, to preach to this what was in the back then. It was a bloodthirsty uh, and and wicked city um, called Nineveh. He called them. Jonah was to call them to account for their greed and their savageness. Now, when Jonah preached, if you, if you were go back and read that story in Jonah 3, when Jonah preached, the city repented. They didn't try to, to justify their wickedness. They didn't demand to see signs and, and challenge the authority of God to hold them to account. They heard God's word... And they responded in repentance and faith. Likewise, uh, also, uh, Jesus points to an incident where the Queen of Sheba, called here the, the Queen of the South, uh, acknowledged God's wisdom spoken through King Solomon. She, she was willing to travel great distances uh, to come, believing that God, she would hear God's wisdom through Solomon. In both these cases, people who incidentally were not God's people, these were Gentiles in both accounts. They, were, they acted in true faith to God's spoke, word spoken through his prophets. Now let me be clear uh, about something. It's not that true faith uh, isn't discerning uh, or never asks questions. It's not that true faith never wants to dig deeper and, and understand more. So it's not as though um, Jesus is saying we just have to have blind faith or or simple faith. But true faith is motivated by a desire to really know God and then to submit to what he has revealed. You see, true faith sits under him, not over him. True faith is willing to let God be God, even when that confronts our sinful sensibilities, rather than dictate to him what he should be like. True faith is motivated by humility, by self-examination rather than pride and self-righteousness. True faith seeks to know God rather than triumph over him. And so Jesus challenges the motives of these Jewish leaders. And indeed all of us who are tempted, tempted to set ourselves over God. You see, one day, one day we will all have to stand before God the judgment seat of God. One day God will call us all to account and then it will matter massively. It will matter eternally how we've responded to God's word, whether in faith or in scepticism, whether with humility or with pride. And Jesus says here that that those who have responded in unbelief and scepticism, he says that they will be shamed and they will be condemned by those who have responded in faith. But Jesus says that that we who live after him have a greater responsibility to believe than those who came before him, because well we have greater we have greater reason to believe. Now, in verses uh, 41 and 42, Jesus commends the faith of the Ninevites and the faith of the Queen of Sheba because he says they acted in faith to the spoken word of God through the prophets, through human prophets. Human prophets, that, that's what Solomon was, that's what Jonah was. But Jesus says those guys responded and now one greater is here, one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Solomon is here. You see, Jesus is no uh, merely human prophet. He's not just another spiritual guru. He is greater than the Old Testament prophets and he is greater than any uh, spiritual guru that we're going to find in our culture today, in our world today. Jesus says, you need to listen to me. Now, Jesus not only claims to be greater in the passage, but he points us to his true identity and how we can know that he has this ultimate spiritual authority. And this is the second thing that that Jesus does in this passage in response to the the Pharisees' challenge. You see, in in verse 39, having said that he's not going to perform party tricks for the Pharisees uh, and sceptics, he then says that the only sign... That he will give a sign, but that the only sign he is going to give is the sign of the prophet Jonah. He says, uh, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Well, first of all, he's saying something important about his identity. Now, when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, uh, this is, uh, not, Jesus is not saying here that, that he's human. He's not making a reference to the, the fact that he was born of a, of a woman, a human woman. The, son, the title, the, the title Son of Man, was a title that was, was drawn from the Old Testament in Daniel 7. There it's prophesied, God gave a prophecy through Daniel that, that this, this powerful figure described as one like a son of man would descend out of heaven, that he would come on the clouds of heaven and that this, this son of man figure would be given power and authority and glory and that he would rule over an eternal kingdom and that he would be given all of this by God. Now, This being in Daniel 7 is both uh, human, but but he's more than human. He comes on the clouds of heaven. He's made the ruler of a kingdom that will never pass away. He's given the glory of God, which God has has said already in Isaiah uh, 40. in, In the 40s, he says it a number of times, that God will not give his glory to another. So this son of man figure given the glory of God, is clearly more than a human. So when Jesus here describes himself as the son of man, he is, he's saying, guys, you know that, that figure, that, that prophetic figure that you've been waiting for? I'm it. That's me. I'm here. This, this special agent sent by God to rule in his place, to reveal him and represent him, and the Pharisees make no doubt, they know what he's claiming. So second, firstly, he tells us something about his identity through this title, the Son of Man. Secondly, though, Jesus says here something about how we will know that what he says about himself is true. He says that, that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so he will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Now in this, Jesus is Uh, is foretelling what is going to happen to him uh, in his death and his resurrection. You see, for three days he would be buried, and on the third day he would rise again. He would come back from the dead. This, Jesus says, this is how the world will know who he says he is. This is the sign the great sign, this is the sign that by which we can know that he, that he is no merely human prophet, that he is no merely human spiritual guru, that he is the divine human saviour king. Now, history shows us with amazing, uh, amazingly robust proof that, that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. That he was crucified on a Roman cross, that he was buried, and that three days, three days later, he rose again. He he promised that he would do it. Not just here, but, but numerous other times before his death, he promised that he would do it, and he did. He claimed that he was greater than all the other prophets, and he proved it by rising from the dead. He claimed to be the promised Son of Man who would rule over an eternal kingdom. And his resurrection proved that he was able to do it because he conquered death. He conquered sin when he rose again. Now, we have both uh, one, the wonderful privilege uh, but also great responsibility of living as we do on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We, we have the enormous privilege because well, we can see the proof of Jesus' claims. He promised us a so- the sign of Jonah and he delivered. He came claiming to represent God as the Son of Man and he has proven that his claims were true. Now, if the Pharisees had a privilege over the, the people of Nineveh and the, and the Queen of Sheba because they had Jesus in their midst, well, then how much more us? How much more us, that that we have even greater privilege because we have Jesus' claims proven, genuine, by his death and resurrection. But if if our privilege is that much greater, so is our responsibility. You see, each one of us here needs to seriously consider the claims of Jesus. We can't just treat Jesus as one spiritual option among many. We can't just treat him as as another religious guru who we can take or leave depending on our spiritual bent. We can't just see him as as one more dish on the spiritual buffet. Jesus came as the Creator's messenger and as God's promised Saviour King and every person will one day stand in judgment for how they have responded to him. Now, in the passage uh, from the Gospel of John, which, um, uh, which we read a little earlier, it makes this truth very clear. Both God's intention in sending Jesus into the world, but also how we should respond. Uh, for there we, we read these uh, powerful words. For God so loved... God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Gave in the sense that he he sacrificed him. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him, that is, those that reject him, those that say he's not really that important, those that don't believe in him stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, how, how we respond to Jesus is of eternal importance. Now, if you were to walk into your, your local bookshop or if you we were to listen to the elites of our culture, you might get the impression that there are many spiritual options and that one is as good as another. But there is an enormous difference between Jesus and everything else. It's not even close. There is a vast difference between Jesus even and the Old Testament prophets. And there is an even greater gulf between Jesus and modern day sort of self-proclaimed spiritual gurus. Light years between mere men and women fumbling around in the darkness for spiritual answers. And Jesus who came down from heaven who laid down his life and who then took it up again, defeating sin and death. Now each one of us must decide, each one sitting here this morning must decide, how will I respond to him? Will you, in pride and self-righteousness, demand more? Will you turn away in unbelief, trusting in your own wisdom, Or in the ideas of of fallible men and women? Or will you come? Will you come to Jesus, the Son of Man, God's promised Saviour King in repentance and faith? And will you find in Him eternal life and forgiveness? You see, how you respond to Jesus is the single most important decision that you will make in this life the single most important decision that you'll make in this life because it will impact all of eternity. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you for this, uh, this passage of Scripture which presents Jesus to us with such clarity but also challenges us about how we will respond to him. Father, we thank you that in your grace you have met us in our sin and in our rebellion and in our pride, that you have come to us in Jesus. Father, we pray, I just want to pray for each person here that as they've heard the message of Jesus this morning, Lord, that you would move in their hearts. Lord, that for those who have been following you for for many years, that they will rejoice again at just who Jesus is and and the firmness on which we can base our faith in him. Lord, if there are people who who are wrestling with whether whether to follow Jesus or whether to follow the world, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that you would draw them to yourself now, that they might go from here, seeing the world as it really is, with Jesus at the centre, full of colour and life, and hope. Lord, I just pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.